I guess you could call this my guest's triumphant return. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer. Welcome to episode 61. I am joined once again by now friend of the show, Thomas Foss. Thomas, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, a little tired with the, the plague going on, but I think that's kind of how everybody is. But yeah, I, doing well and excited to be back. Well, thank you. Yeah, the, the last couple shows are definitely of this time. Uh, and I got to say that it's been an interesting time <laughs> to be in this hobby, to say the least. It is a social hobby, and we have to figure out ways to continue practicing our hobby without getting close to one another. Well, I think that's where spray cans come in handy. (laughs) (laughs) Got your mask on? Uh. (laughs) Depends on what you're you're, uh, spraying, I guess. But (laughs) Exactly. Speaking of of spray cans, I, I did use a spray can today. I primed another building for my ongoing imagination slash fantasy renaissance project so i'm excited oh, about fantastic. that yeah yeah cool i um did i prime anything i sealed some stuff today i sealed some of the killer rabbits things i did and i finished up another uh mounted crossbowman and one of diego serrata's really cool goblin orc guys mm. it's been sitting on my table for a while it's kind of been a hodgepodge, uh, but but like you were saying, um, it, it is a really hard time in the in the hobby and in the industry to be able to um, uh, to get together and do things because it is so social. But I've been uh, I've been amazed and and really inspired by how well uh, us gamers and hobbyists are actually evolving for this. I mean, part part of our hobby is actually being alone. Right. Because right. <laughs> you're, right. you're sitting there, you're priming, you're painting and we're kind of getting that. And and you're watching like I'm on Facebook right now watching like all the people posting cool stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stuff that they're getting painted, um, especially like a lot of the old school miniatures getting pulled out and painted. I think that that's really neat. Right. Um, other things, other avenues like um, my gaming group. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here in the Bay Area, so I've got a lot of tech savvy guys in my gaming group. And. They were able to set up a Discord and set up Roll D20, and we're scanning in maps. So I'm playing Mighty Empires on Roll D20. We're nice. doing some role-playing games. We're playtesting my uh, Arenas of Id stuff, which we'll talk about later, on uh, on Roll D20. Uh, so it's pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- we, we find ways. We find ways. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I spoke with Henry Hyde, Dean of the Hobby, Henry Hyde. Uh, mm-hmm. On his podcast, it is out currently for patrons, Patreon patrons, Patreon patrons. Anyway, um, for <laughs> folks that give him dough, it's it's uh, it's out there. It'll be available to the general public in a week. And we spoke at length about some of the things that folks are doing right now. Um, and yeah, Twitter is just uh, ablaze with folks that are using Discord and Roll20 for any number of different types of games. I, I did a Discord-based Kriegspiel myself uh, mm-hmm. about two months ago now. Oh, was it actually? No, it was further back than that. Two and a half months, three months. Anyway, 
and uh, I think Kriegspiel is like sorry, Kriegspiel is like the perfect thing to do overline because oh. it's Kriegspiel, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so there, there's definitely there's definitely room to explore that space, and I'm glad that we're able to do that. I am look looking forward to a return to normalcy. Uh, I did host my J3 annual weekend this year. It was a reduced amount of people. Um, mm-hmm. We, you know, I sent out a questionnaire beforehand. Hey, you know, what are you doing in your home to make sure that you don't have the Rona? You know, have you been tested? That sort of thing. Um, so it was, yeah, a much reduced uh, group this year, but we still had fun. Um, mutual friend of ours, I won't say his name, but you know who I'm talking about. He's probably not going to have his weekend. Uh, oh, yep. Yeah. Uh, and the recruits show has been canceled. They're looking to do a virtual recruits. Um, I think virtual Gen Con was just this past weekend. And virtual Comic Con was happened as well. Mm-hmm. So it's but there was yeah there there are definitely ways, and I don't know what's going to be happening. I was supposed to be at Salute this year, running a mm-hmm. Wind Wars game, um, but of course that didn't happen. Um, right. And I just saw that Salute got re scheduled but for a different time this year and i'm Mm. well you know fingers crossed everything will be clear enough that we can actually do something like a 10 salute but i don't know man i don't know i i I think uh i i definitely fall on the conservative side already having several friends that have uh been tested positive and contracted the virus and uh one friend and another friend's um parent that have died right Mm. so it's it's tough it's tough. It, it reminds me of, you know, I, I liken it in Wargamers can kind of liken it to, you know, the Blitz in London, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got to do what you got to do to survive. And if right. you don't, if somebody, le- if somebody leaves their light on and the bombers are flying over, right? Right. Then, then there will be repercussions. And that's, uh, you know, I, I, I think that when you can put it in those kind of terms, you it, it visualizes things a little bit differently. Right. Right. Well, and also let's... then you're playing a war game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not, it's not real life. You're playing a war game. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, yeah, we are we are definitely of these times, but we are also looking to the future. And you kind of you mentioned it briefly, but I think we need to. And some folks on Twitter have asked about it. So we do have to talk about the next Kickstarter, which is. Oh, it's uh, Killer Rabbits 2, Who Letteth the Dogs Out? Yes. So this is the, uh, the, <laughs> the update the update to uh, my first Killer Rabbits uh, piece, uh, which is, all, of course, all of the uh, mayhem marginalia rabbits that, and, mm-hmm. and snails and things that you find in the, uh, in the side panels where the monks, these awesome monk concept artists, drawing these uh, rabbits doing very military things or flaying flaying priests alive or you know <laughs> jousting on snails just really fun stuff and um the way that first kickstarter happened um we were just wrapping up um uh, my triumph of death one mm-hmm. and i was going up to san francisco to meet drew williams my sculptor uh and bring him some concept art for triumph of death two because you know you can't it's hard to get everything you want in one kickstarter especially you know when you stretch goals and you see how well people are doing with things and you're excited about it, there's always more that you want to do to fill in the line. So anyways, up there 
and when I went up there to start showing him some sculpts, I mean, some, some sketches and, and some research I'd done, here's a pile of, of uh, printouts that Drew had of these medieval marginalia rabbits. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, these are, you know, when you go up to Drew's, he's got clipboards of all the different, it's kind of like signing an NDA. There's, you know, there's stuff for different companies that he's doing work for, right? Like the bigger companies. So I, you know, I get a sneak peek at all the other cool stuff they're doing, but I'm like, what are these? I thought they were, he's like, well, dude, just these need to be made. They're just too cool. And I said, okay, you know, he's a sculptor, right? Make them. And he's like, yeah, but what am I going to do with them? I'm like, well, run a Kickstarter. And he's like, I don't know how to do that. And I said, I do. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how it started. Right. We figured, yeah. we figured it'd just be this fun little Kickstarter. I put it together and, and, um, you know, I, I, as all my Kickstarters, I run them by uh, by Kawe of Westphalia Games because he's my editor and he helps me clean up stuff. He's with this awesome German ways of, of English German ways of speaking. He'll look at something and goes, this font is shit. Let's fix this. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he's very straightforward. And boom. And he's always right. He's always right. I love Kawe. The man's a genius. Mad, but genius. Um, yeah. Anyway, so so we did the Killer Rabbits Kickstarter and, you know, figured it would do fairly well because they're cool and it went gangbusters it was yeah. the the response of everybody was just heartwarming and phenomenal right they really dug these little rabbits drew did a great job sculpting them i started you know we started needing to add more add-ons and, and stretch goals um uh and and getting all the different stretch goals out and it was super exciting um and at the end of the day it, it did really well and people people love them uh and uh then i went on and did a triumph of death too because mm. i had we needed to fill that in also did great. Um, and again, really great response from, from everybody. And we get to fill in cool things like adding, you know, artillery in and crossbows and pike units and, uh, you know, make sure filling in so you could do some really cool armies plus lots of extra, um, neat. Um, we finished up the four horsemen of the apocalypse in that one, uh, yep. cause we didn't have all four horsemen and, and a lot, a lot of cool personalities, uh, which are just really fun. Um, and they're all based on um, historical German woodblock cuts, yes, and, and 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 paintings from things. So there's just a lot of really neat poses and armors and cool things there. But uh, but anyway, like that, um, the Killer Rabbits too kind of followed suit, right? Uh, <laughs> once again, I go up to Drew's uh, and um, actually working on another project that will a uh, 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 prototype stuff, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and. Um, and I'm showing him some sketches for that. And he's got a dog sculpted. And I'm like, hey, Drew, what's this? And he goes, well, a lot of the feedback from the first Kickstarter was that they wanted to see more rabbits and some dogs and you know, some things. So I thought I'd do a dog. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's see. What am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? So I went home and... Um, and because I was thinking Killer Rabbits 2 is going to be more rabbits and, and, you know, primarily focused on that. And I'm looking around, I'm looking at all the, you know, the manuscript artwork that I had already gleaned in my folders. Uh, and and I came upon this one image and it was just like light bulb. Uh, and the image is the one I've been using for my teaser for Killer Rabbits 2, which is basically um, there's a, a pavilion on, if you're looking at it, kind of the, the image, the, 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 the drawing stage left there's a pavilion and there's a king dog sitting next to his pavilion and then as you move forward there's a bunch of dogs attacking a small castle keep with a bunch of rabbits in it mm-hmm. and i'm like perfect this is exactly what we need this is who let the dogs out right it's like cry havoc and let loose the dogs of war this right. is the marketing point 
some monk, which I could wish I could buy a beer for, had already done our concept art and marketing scheme, <laughs> and and then it, and then it went from there. So I started digging through, and I'm like, okay, let's do this one, and 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 uh, Andrew started sculpting them up. But I wanted to add um, an extra layer to this particular Kickstarter. So it, it's first of all, it's not just all dogs. There are some other rabbits interdispersed. So adding in some of the rabbits, like um, part of the the add-ons, are some rabbit standard bearers, and we have. Um, uh, rabbits riding on hounds jousting, and then I have a hound riding on a rabbit jousting at each other. So there's, nice. there's some nice personality. <laughs> yeah, really fun pieces. Then um, uh, you can see those. I believe I put those up on my Facebook uh, on my Facebook uh, Skull and Crown site. I've got the, you can see the pictures of the greens of those. And then today I just posted um, the the big dog is what I'm calling him, the king dog with the pavilion. And um, again, what I want to do with this Kickstarter is uh, add a little bit extra to it. So it's not just the miniatures. I'm actually designing and laser cutting out some of the, um, I'll, I'll use the word stage flats, the backdrops mm-hmm. to, to, a lot of the, uh, to a lot of the manuscripts we're seeing. So the first one I did was the pavilion. So not only do you get the, uh, the king dog um, with sitting there with his crown on, but you also get the pavilion just like you'd see in the manuscript. Right. Um, I'm also doing, uh, there's, a, there's one where there's a, a bunch of rabbits with a, um, with a trebuchet. So I figured how to do the trebuchet and, and these, these don't look realistic. I'm designing them like, like they look in the manuscript. So when the, um, uh, you know, when the, um, perspective isn't exactly right, you know, or it's kind of scribbly drawn or it's like this, this thing's fatter than that thing. Uh, because you know, some monks just doodling on it. So I'm trying to really capture that kind of, um, feel in the pieces. So I'm mm-hmm. um, also looking at uh, doing the little castle keep so you can actually have, it'll have little ledges on it. Again, like a, uh, imagine uh, stage flats on a play, right? So a little ledge right. for like the actor to stand on. So I'm doing that. And then later on in one of the other stretch goals or add-ons, I haven't decided yet on this, um, I'm, there's an ecclesiastical set of, uh, of rabbits doing the whole, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And, and there's a little church, so I'm going to do the church. Right, it's a little cathedral church. So just so another fun way that uh, that sets it up so you can actually display the figures or mm-hmm. you know have the little tell little stories, or little vignettes when you're playing with them, which would be kind of sure. fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now you are going live with this particular Kickstarter when mid mid this month. I can't mid, land exactly mid this month. Mid August, exactly. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And I'm not going to give an exact date because my daytime work schedule has been so busy mm-hmm. uh, that like um, I did a bunch of like I was working this weekend for my work work instead of being able to actually work on the Kickstarter like I had hoped so much. Right. It's just, you know, it's it's as you said earlier, it's the way the life is, the world is right now. Yeah. So but yeah, but the the goal is to launch uh, mid this month. Stupid real life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well we, I happen to actually really love my day job. You know, I'm yeah, I'm, well, a, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a game designer at Cryptic Studios, right? So yeah, um, you, you that's can't a pretty hate cool that. thing to be. <laughs> I can't hate it, but it is a lot of work. Right? Yeah, getting yeah, getting stuff together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now we've got a number of things in the works for Killer Rabbits, and mm-hmm. I, I got to say, we we can't. You've shown me some stuff that you, you know, my. You, know, you asked me long ago when you first sent me Triumph of Death stuff. Hey, you're not going to talk about this right now. I, I won't. You know, I I am 
I do hold a security clearance from the United States government. I'm gonna stick with that. <laughs> exactly. So, well, I think that I think that most everything I've sent you on the Killer Rabbit stuff I have released since then. So okay. if people want to see it, they again they can go to Facebook and look at it, or um, they can go to um, Skull and Crown, my blogspot, skullandcrown.blogspot.com. Although I, I'm finding that less and less useful to use. Yeah. Only because blogs are they're hard to set up and they don't always work. <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, Facebook's easy to post to. I've been thanks to you reminding me that like Twitter, I've been posting some pictures on Twitter. Yep. Uh, I yeah. Twitter. And I don't use Instagram. Twitter mm-hmm. is great for that because you can throw something out. You can put a particular hashtag on something, and then anytime you want to see that stuff, it's bam, there it is. You know, you look. Oh, at I got to remember the hashtag thing. Thanks. Yeah, hashtags. That's you know. That's that's what I've yeah. been doing with my with my Brandberg project. My sometimes it's Renaissance imagination. Sometimes it's non IP infringing fantasy, and <laughs> I just throw the Brandberg. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't, you know, save it to the end. I, you know, I'll say, Hey, it's another building for hashtag Brandberg and just make it an organic part of the message. And there you go. And then whenever I need to see anything having to do with Brandberg, I just do a search on hashtag Brandberg and oh, clever fish. We go. Yeah. See, I love, I see, this is the kind of thing that I love talking to you about. Like I always learn something talking with you. Well, I thank you. And, and, and I talking to you. Um, so I think hashtag killer rabbits is a, is an obvious, yeah, I'm gonna go do uh, that place to go and <laughs> go from there, but we won't, we won't show everything just yet. We won't talk about everything just yet. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of surprises and stretch goals to come. And I'm really excited for where this is, this is going me personally. Mm-hmm. I'm having to stay focused on our, our, wanting to stay focused on Brandberg, so I'm really trying hard not to let myself get distracted, but I am I am going to look. I may not touch, but I am going to look. <laughs> um, speaking of things, uh, and I, I, I did get some listener questions, and there was some talk about, maybe not this particular project, but the, uh, the Wooden Wars stuff. You've got mm-hmm. a couple, three different things going for wooden wars at the moment uh correct me if i'm wrong you've got the the breaking lances i do which is something i still need to publish (laughs) as jay wiley keeps reminding me he's like when are you gonna give me the rules to edit (laughs) (laughs) you've got the vsf bots i do my queen victoria's robot wars Mm -hmm. and you've got snail races i've got snail races which is a game i actually just did for my daughter uh, but actually, I also, for my Wooden Wars, I have the, um, I have actually the Napoleonics, which is the original Wooden Wars yes. stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so plenty of stuff there. Um, now, the, the Napoleonic stuff is available for sale at Skull, at the Skull and Crown site. Yeah, uh, them, they and the um, Queen Victoria's Robot Wars are as well. Those are the 120 millimeter uh, wooden robots and, and, and soldiers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a um, few knights on, on, the, on the store as well. Uh, the mounted and dismounted versions, but again, I haven't I haven't quite uh, finished up the rules yet, mm-hmm. and I know that people have been asking for it. But really, my motto is kind of like I want to make sure that they're done before I put them out, right? Right. And get them and, and get them right. And and I've got uh, fantastic amounts of playtesting over the last uh, year and a half, two years with them. Now it's just a matter of figuring out when I can get all the good pictures 
for it and and set it up for publishing. And I just actually this weekend uh, ordered a brand new DSL camera, DSLR oh, cool. camera, so I can actually do some 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 big some big boy pictures instead of just using my phone the whole time. <laughs> nice. Now something about breaking lances I wanted to touch on because some folks might not mm-hmm. be aware that a joust or joust, if you prefer that pronunciation. Um, wasn't just guys on horseback with pointed sticks. It, there was also ground combat, and it was break, broken down between tilting, which is the, the you know, riding on a horse with a yep. lance, and you smack the other guy, mm-hmm. and hopefully knock him mm-hmm. off. And there's also mm-hmm. the melee, which is Correct. any number of guys on foot smacking each other with clubs and maces and pickaxes. Yeah, ab- abated weapons, exactly. Yeah. So they'd be non-sharpened weapons. Mm-hmm. Right. And exactly. Yep. And people... And there was still chance for death. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> there there's an option there. Um, so you've got essentially two di- So you have basically two different rule sets in mm-hmm. in this one project. Uh, yep, and yep, and they uh, they they both use the same mechanic. Uh, they just uh, was able to kind of change the mechanic around to to, to make the feeling of what you were doing uh, change. And you know, because when you're when you're when you're jousting, it's really about how you can control the horse. And, you know, it's that moment to moment, each second leading up to the joust, uh, trying to, you know, figure where your aim is going to be. You're going to go high, you're going to go low, you're kind of juking the guy, thinking you're going to go low and then go high at the right moment. And, you know, at the same time, getting your defensive position, are you, you know, leaning forward, you're raising your shield up a little bit, and then controlling the horse. All that, all that culminates and uh, in kind of a, a, a rock, paper, scissors kind of schematic. So you gain a bunch of dice. So once you actually make contact, the more the the better you did on the run up, the more dice you have to actually club the guy. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a basically it's a it's a gather everything up and then bam that one big hit. Where with the melee, as you said, it's a, it's a, um in the foot combat, uh, it it you can have as many guys you know like when I'm running tournaments, uh, I usually run ten to twelve players at a game convention, and and the foot tournament the foot fights are usually the guys that that aren't in the in the top two. Uh, or the top four matches for the joust, right? So that everybody else goes to like second prize and they go for the joust. So you can have like eight guys, like four or five guys on the side fighting. And the way it works there is each turn you're gone, you know, uh, guessing high, middle, low, kind of rock, paper, scissors kind of way. And you're mm-hmm. gathering dice. And then you can either just swing right there. So you could be the guys just like constantly wailing on somebody to try and score points. Uh, and you get three points as a win. Or you can be that guy that like, holds dice, holds dice, and it's like waiting, 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 and then wham, does that one big hit, right? right. The more dice you have, the, ch- the bigger the chance, and you can just clobber somebody like that. Um, I'm in the Society for Creative Anachronism, and when I was playtesting these, I was using a lot of my SCA friends, so I've got dukes and knights and counts and stuff playing with this, and it was really interesting watching them use their actual fighting style with how they were playing the game. Neat. You know? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, I, I have made... I have made no secret of the fact that I'm I'm deep into late medieval, early Renaissance right now. Um, I recently recently listened to a distant mirror on audiobook by uh, Barbara Tuckman. Uh, it's about oh, cool. it's it's a history of medieval Europe in the 14th century. So um, it's based primarily on research that she did to or in regarding a particular French noble uh his name was Angron de Cousy and he was 
he was almost like he was almost like a sharp figure or a flashman figure. He was everywhere that France was in the fourteenth in the four, or thirteen hundreds. Oh, that's and cool. he was a relatively high, highly ranked noble. I believe his actual, if I recall correctly, his actual rank was a baron. Mm-hmm. And he ended up, I think he ended up being Marshal of France. So, you know, he's pretty, pretty high up there. And she has an extended, uh, extended description of the Juste and how um, these things would go on for days and days and days and days. And... Mm-hmm. The women would turn out impeccably dressed. The The crown would pay for any number of ladies to be dressed identically to uh, to escort the queen in. And it was just a huge, huge deal. Um, are you looking to maybe do some of the peripheral accoutrement to go with that? You know, like your reviewing stands and oh, people yeah, in the yeah, crowd yeah, and all that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've already got, uh, yeah, I've already got some preliminary drawings. Um, uh, so the, the Breaking Lances figures are actually, they're laser-cut wooden soldiers in flat mode, uh, for those of you that don't know. Uh, and I base them on the Codex Manessa, which is an old 1450s, 15th century uh, text. So I'm doing them uh, in that style, um, which is really interesting when you do the research on them because you realize after a while that the heralds that were drawing each night in that book they basically had a template of three mm-hmm. different horses and it was like, pick this horse, pick this comparison. Okay. We'll put your helmet and shield device on it. Go. Right. So yeah. there's some interesting. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, in terms of like the, yeah, the, all the decabaji I've already started. I've got pavilions. I've got the, the tree with the shields on it. You know, like the jousting tree, if you're going for like blood or for not blood. Um, I've got, um, I've got tons of uh, research that I've been doing on, on uh, 13th and 14th century women's dress, um, nice. I've got I've got a drawing for there's a there's a wonderful Angus McBride painting in Knights and Tournament, um, and it's basically the lady in waiting on a palfrey, and the knights on a horse, and then the squire is in front of them and he has a, like a pole up and he's carrying the knight's helmet. Mm-hmm. I, I just really love that piece, so I want to do something like that with the like the squire and the lady in waiting kind of so you can like that parade kind of thing uh you know plus a jester plus some some court people uh definitely want to do like the the reviewing stand with um the royalty in it at some point all, all of those are, are cool possibilities and that's one of the reasons why i was thinking about doing breaking lances as a kickstarter later on because those are um when you do the Kickstarter like that, you can kind of get the funding to do the design work and the cutting of that. And also there's that inspiration of like, you know, people actually want this stuff, mm-hmm. right? So you can kind of crank it out and do more with that. Um, um, that's actually how the Queen Victoria Robot Wars stuff happened was um, during my very first Kickstarter, which was Wooden Wars. And that was to get myself my own laser cutter. Um, I had the wooden Napoleonic soldiers, but I threw out a couple of sketches of the Queen Victoria stuff. And the response of that was actually just as big as the Napoleonic stuff. So yeah. I was literally every night drawing new sketches for stretch goals that were being hit, right? For that kind of thing. So I can see, uh, I can see that the um, the wooden wars, the the breaking lances thing, being something like that as well. There's a yeah, lot of cool things to do. That that is super cool. Um, I am very excited to see where where you're able to take the wooden wars stuff. Um, have it, it reminds me 
somewhat also of Peter Dennis's work. Are you familiar with Peter Dennis? Of course I am. Absolutely. Okay. I'm in cor- correspondence with Mr. Dennis all the time. Uh, he is phenomenal artisan. Um, I'm actually, I was actually talking with Peter, I guess it was the last year at this point, uh, about, um, about, uh, I was working on some prototypes to do some Anglo-Dutch warships in mm-hmm. laser cut, um, and doing them in that period style, by the way that they used to draw them. And if you look yeah. at, if you look at the, the period drawings of, of, a, um, of an Anglo-Dutch warship, it's kind of like how the fantasy guys draw the girls where they're kind of twisted. So you can see the TNA. Yeah. Like, but it's a weird pose. They do that with the ships, right? Where they kind of twist the, the perspective of the aft so you can see all that beautiful sculpture and cake work. But mm-hmm. then they also have like the, the bow and you can see all the decks. So I've done some prototype pieces like that and laser cut them out. And I was talking to Peter about um, maybe doing more drawings for me that I could actually use for laser cutting. Cause, oh, that's um, cool. Because the, man, the, man, the man's an evil genius. But we'll, oh, we'll see yeah. how that project goes. In the meantime, he's been actually working with that, uh, that Polish-Russian company Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll say Eastern Europe. I can't remember where they are. And they're actually, they have the ability to print Peter's pieces onto Plexi and then laser cut them out. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And I was actually talking with, um, are you familiar with Flatpak Studios? I'm not. In the UK. He does um, uh, a very similar thing. Uh, the, the owner of Flatpak, he did some World War II figures and he's done some fantasy figures. And I've actually sent prototypes to him of my, 54 millimeter wars of imagination stuff, which is that, you know, that early 17th century kind of wars of Spanish succession kind of look with the big right. frock coats and things. And I've sent him, um, I sent him a master to do some prototypes from, and that's actually pretty promising. So that, um, I get a lot of requests of pre-painted stuff or mm-hmm. pre-printed stuff that people can just put together and play. So I might end up doing that either with the wars of imaginations or doing like maybe a great Northern war kind of line. Oh, cool. Right, because I, I, you know, it's a very simple uniforms in terms of how many flavors you get, but they're really, but I love those colors, right? It's such right, a great, right. you know, the Swedes in their blue and gold, and the, you know, the the Russians in that beautiful green and that blazing red, sometimes a bit of yellow. And it would just, it would look just so sexy on the table. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and then the thing is, there's something about that aesthetic that if you commit to it, it really looks good. I did a. Uh, Commands and Colors Ancients epic game of Zama. And Mm. the the epic Zama scenario from Commands and Colors Epic Ancients. And I went on the Junior Generals website and found... It's a free website, and they've got paper standees for all kinds of different conflicts. Mm -hmm. And they're not... I'll just say they're crude. I mean, they're, they're very basic designs. They're not anything spectacular. But what I did is I reduced them and printed them down to maybe, you know, the, the individual infantry were maybe 8, 9, 10 millimeters tall. Mm-hmm. Cavalry were maybe 15, 16 so millimeters kind of war tall. master scale. Mm-hmm. Roughly, yeah. And... Mm-hmm. I was also using, if you're familiar with Commands and Colors, you know, it's got the, the hex grid. Yep. I used a, a four-inch hex grid mat, mm-hmm. and uh, so the units ended up being on one-inch by two-inch bases, but, you know, you've got two across and two deep mm-hmm. with these little 
not quite half inch tall guys, and the impression was actually pretty decent. And I, I could did see multi- how that would turn out, yeah. And I did multiple ranks on a on a base, and uh, heavy troops were three ranks per base, and medium troops were two ranks per base, and light troops were one rank per base. But when you commit to that aesthetic, whether you're using paper, like in that case from the junior generals or Peter Dennis's stuff that you mm-hmm. can download and print, or your wooden wars, or you know, if you really want to get into it and do the Zinfiguren from Germany, the mm-hmm. the metal semi-flats, mm-hmm. you know, you can make some really attractive games, and it, and it does look nice. But that's the thing, you have to commit to that aesthetic. You can't you can't mix that with, you know, fully realized three-dimensional terrain, for example. Yeah, it's no, I totally agree with you. Um, if you look at, I mean, I've run some some really big um, Wars of Imagination games, right, where I'm working on like a six by six by eight, six by ten foot table, and we have, gosh, well, uh, units are eighteen figures, hmm. uh, for 20, 18 to twenty-four figures, and we'll have fifteen units on the side. And you know, 54 millimeter, and it looks really yeah. fun. It's really, really cool. But one thing I found the weird thing like, you can't, you're talking about mixing. Like, I tried flocking the bases on those figures, and it looked wrong, right? <laughs> like, you don't you just keep them flat and green, and it looks really yep. good, right? So then, so then I took that aesthetic even further, right? So, like, all of the all of the trees in the woods are laser cut trees, they're just flats, yeah. right? All of the all of the fields I did, uh, plowed fields and whatnot, are actually taking craft foam and just kind of carved into the lines and then kind of painted them to look like, you know, the ground, my, even, even like my, my, my livestock, the sheep and stuff, they're, they're, they're flats, right. <laughs> you know, and it, and it all, it, it's, it's that tying it together. The other thing is um, when I'm working on any of the wooden wars from that period, I really dig into and research how in, in drawing form and some painting form too, how the uh, soldiers were portrayed during their time and place in history, right? Mm. So there's certain silhouettes that you'll find that I really drive upon to help sell that that period in that style. Like with my Napoleonics, if you look at a Napoleonic soldier, they're kind of a, um, an upside down triangle, right? Because you have the big hat on top, and the hats are very important because of all the smoke and things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which, which, uh, if you remember the uh, the Waterloo reenactment a couple of years ago like how much smoke was in the air and like it was you really got a, a, a really good sense of um real um kind of um uh what's the word i'm looking for like archaeology and history in action right right because like you you saw how important like those helmets and and shakos and feathers were uh because of all the smoke and stuff in the air and the mm-hmm. distance um and how tall the grass was which also made me feel that like when I flocked my six millimeter guys and got grass up to their knees, they didn't feel so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's historically accurate. Right. <laughs> but, right. Um, uh, but it's that same thing. So if you look at like, you know, the silhouette in, in all the lithographs and drawings of a Napoleonic soldier, um, they're like an upside down triangle because that hat is a really important part. And then the shoulders and, and epaulets, and then the legs just kind of get skinny because they don't really matter that much. You're just marching in the crowd. Where if you right. look at, um, if you look at like uh, early 17th century, uh, uniforms, it's just the opposite, right? It's almost like two triangles uh, down because the frock coat is more like a bell shape. It actually mm-hmm. opens up really wide at the bottom and then right, goes right. down because of the coats and the big cuffs are like bells. And then you also get the tricorn, 
which is like another triangle. So you get these really interesting silhouette shapes. And when I'm designing the miniatures, I really look to those uh, silhouettes because that's the kind of thing that's going to, at a distance when you're looking at the table, you're going to like, I totally know what those are. I, those read to me, right? Right. You're, you're talking about how the units or the individuals are depicted at the time, which of course ties back to the triumph of death, which mm-hmm. you know, we've discussed at length before and both in recorded and not recorded formats. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But also are, are you familiar with Tom Meyer? You're, of course you're familiar with Tom oh, Meyer. The, yes. Sculptor. A- absolutely. He has a couple of caricatures in miniature form of French and British Napoleonic troops. Mm -hmm. And they are directly lifted out of the page. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They're phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. And it, it, what, I don't think he ever fully realized that range, but just with a few more types, that would be a spectacular way to run a game. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up Tom Meyer's name. I want to, I want to, to like give just like props to him. Right. Because Mm -hmm. during, I mean, if you look at like a lot of the old sculptors, you know, during like the the late seventies, early eighties and mid eighties, um, a lot of them were loose, right. And caricatured. And I love that. I love the old hammer figures. I've got a bunch on my table right now, but they were more about caricature, but, but I just painted up a set for a, um, a challenge for, um, on, on Facebook. It was, a paint up adventurers from like figures from like pre 1980s and man, I'm painting up this gnome and I've got to guess where some of this stuff is. Is that an arm? Is that a sleeve? Is that chain mail? Like, I don't know. But when you looked at a Tom Meyer figure, it was super clean. It was super crisp. It was the Cadillac of of sculpts during that time. Right. He Mm -hmm. really, he was just phenomenal. And and you always felt obliged to, to have to paint all that detail. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. Which was always challenging, uh, especially you know to like a fourteen-year-old kid uh, with using like testers' brushes for Christ's sake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're like what? How do they do this? Um, but uh, yeah, I just I think Tom Meyer's a phenomenal sculptor and uh, way ahead of his time. I I'm still a huge fan of his dwarves, and I would love to see him re-sculpted, reimagine those, but like in more of a modern scale. Mm-hmm. I think, man, wouldn't that be sexy? Yeah, his his um, song of ice and fire figures are astounding, just to, to mm-hmm. say the least. Mm-hmm. To say the least, they're just really spectacular. Um, yeah, there there are there are some sculptors out there that I would just buy the figures, kind of for their name, but also for the sexiness because you just want to have the piece around. Maybe you're not even going to paint it; you just look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom Meyer's definitely one of those guys, right? Yeah, you take a look at some of the Renaissance sculptors, and I, I can't remember the name in particular, but he had he sculpted a Madonna that had a face veil, and you can tell that it's a woman behind a veil in oh, marble. Oh yeah, yeah. And some of like his like Tom Cersei Lannister is mm-hmm. like that, and you just you just wonder that that is sculpted at a one to, you know, that's not a plastic miniature. It's not a three to, you know, it's not a three up. It's, you know, sculpted yeah. at the scale it's going to be produced. It, so it's a it's, yep, it's 28, 29, 30 millimeter tall green getting 
getting turned into metal. It's just astounding. Just and that mm-hmm. and astounding talent. And I think we need to do a little bit better in recognizing the people that actually make these miniature figures that we put on the tabletop or in a display case for that matter. So I, I definitely appreciate that you named Drew as you know for being the sculptor of the the skeletons and the killer ro- rabbits and. Drew is my Drew is my muse. Like Drew Day Williams, for those of you who don't know, owns Satyr uh, Art Studio, and he's actually been putting out some amazing trolls and uh, and just put out a gorgeous hill giant for his own uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Drew's also kind of my partner in crime with all of my kickstarters. We just we we have a really good working relationship, and yeah, absolutely. You know, props to him for uh, uh, for being able to uh, to realize my. Um, my craziness, <laughs> right, right, and and bring out and, and and sculpt it in that in that old school form, right, and um and you know and it's a process. I mean, there have been times when I'll bring drawings to Drew, and he's like, I can't sculpt it. You need to change this and this because it won't fit in the mold. It won't mm-hmm. cast well. Like he really understands, you know, sculpting for the mold. Um, and so I will go back to literally to the drawing board and then change things around. We'll talk about it. I'll give him a new drawing or an updated drawing of that. And the same the same way comes back. Drew will give me a, uh, you know, will bring me back a green. I'm like, look, you know, look, the scabbard on those cat's bulgers need to be thicker. He's like, yeah, yeah. But it's sort of like, like, look, I know it's historically accurate. You got the way you got it. But it, when I'm casting these, if they don't cast, I'm going to get complaints, right? That, that this mm-hmm. didn't cast. Nobody's going to complain that the cat's bulger scabbard's too fat. <laughs> but they right. will complain if it's missing a finger or, you know, or the, the pike head didn't come out or the scabbard base didn't come out. Right. So let's just go right, with right. that. Right. We don't, we don't need to go like 1990s games workshop two by four sword thickness, but let's, you know, figure out a common ground, but we have that kind right. of relationship and it works and it works really well because we, we both want to make the best cool toys possible. I, I just had an idea an inspiration, if you will, and, mm-hmm. and bear with me, humor me, if you will, Lay it on I'm going to, I'm going to give you a name. And you give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Okay. Jess Goodwin. Jess Goodwin. Um, demigod. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will go along with that. His, his Eldar from the late Rogue Trader, early second edition of <coughs> White Dwarf issue 127... Just we could do chapter and verse. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I've mentioned, I've talked about that particular issue of White Dwarf on this show before. Mm-hmm. Um, he he established the aesthetic for Eldar up until well, till now because yeah. the swooping hawk wings. Mm-hmm. I, I saw a thing on Facebook or Twitter. I forget which it was, but I, I think it was from from GW. The swooping hawk wings that he designed back in what was it eighty nine or ninety are still being produced. Yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, he had this kind of he gave them um, uh, a carapace Spartan look, right? They're not really bug like. They're not really, mm-hmm. but they but they he pulled uh, he pulled certain classic lines that just that just rock. As right. a matter of fact, for my fiftieth birthday. Drew Williams, my good friend Drew Williams, gave me a Chessex box of all of Jess Goldwyn's original sculpts of the Eldar. Oh, nice! That's yeah, spectacular. Which I have, 
Yeah, and I've been painting them up slowly in this kind of white and purple and gold theme, and they're just yeah, they're they are a treat to paint. Yeah, I, and I'm not I, even I, an Eldar guy; like I'm an Imperial Guard guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I lament. I have had two Eldar armies in my past, and I lament getting rid of both of them. The first one I had was chock full of those old original Eldar pirate figures. Mm-hmm. You know the. Mm-hmm. The guy that has like the the big crested plume helmet with like the the molded face mask, and he's yep. pointing. He's got a shuriken catapult on his hip. Um, yep. Uh-huh. Uh, I've got him. I can't believe I gave those. Away. I didn't give them. Well, yeah, I pretty much gave them away. And then over time, I built up another force that was heavy on dreadnoughts and. Mm-hmm. War walkers, and I gave those away. Oh, I yeah. gave those away again. It's like, oh, what I do that for? But yeah, just absolutely <laughs> gorgeous. Okay, next name. Next name. Um, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna give one more thing about uh, Jess. He did. Yes. There's this. I actually have this one drawing, concept drawing on my computer that he did. It's kind of like an Eldar rogue trader dude on like a robotic horse. It's just mm. absolutely awesome. Like I, I want this sculpt. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not a GW fanboy by any means. I will say that the Voxcast, uh, which is their official party uh, 40k uh, podcast, oh, the, uh-huh. Vox, the Voxcast episodes with Jess Goodwin are spectacular listening. Oh, cool! And very, very worth, very, very worth, very worth, very well worth your time to. To give a listen to those. Uh, one of them, he talks about how they go about the actual design process, and it doesn't start with drawing; it starts with words, and a, they're mm. going for a theme and an idea. Yeah, you're and, telling a story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Storytelling. Yeah, exactly. I totally and dig that. Definitely, definitely worth, um, definitely worth uh, taking a listen to. Okay, next names. Make sure you can you put that link in in the in the uh, in the podcast in the show notes. Yeah, I can put anything in the show notes. Yeah, yeah right I'll, I'll go that, and please. I'll go and look for those episodes, and uh, we'll they'll be in the show notes, folks. Okay, next names. Uh huh. Michael and Alan Perry. <laughs> Drinking buddies. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> the Perry twins came over. Uh, um, geez, uh, this is about 15 years ago to Pacific Con here on the West Coast and did a and did a sculpting demo. It was about the same time when they were doing the Riders of Rohan for Lord, the, okay. the Lord of the Rings stuff, because that's what they're working on in the three apps, right? And we sat down, and, and at the same time, we had actually David Emery over here as well, uh, uh, of Saxon Dog fame, um, and uh, Claymore Castings, the owner of Claymore Castings. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, man, those guys, they're not very tall, but they could drink like fish and we sat down and drank with them and we were talking about them. And, you know, and of course the, you know, Alan told us the story about how he lost his hand mm. and, uh, you know, and, um, and man watching this guy sculpt and they gave me some sculpting tips on how to, how to sculpt lips and a nose and a face. And they were just so generous and so nice. Uh, really just, uh, really giving folks. Uh, now I, uh, a story I know about them, through my good friend Ken Ralston, who used to hang out and game with him a long time ago. Uh, Ken Ralston is a fantastic game designer who uh, wrote Paranoia. Um, mm. Also did a bunch of, like, Something's Rotten in Marienburg, I think, when he was working for GW. Mm-hmm. But he said he used to go, 
he used to go play with the Perrys, like, you know, this was back in the mid eighties. Right. And they were playing in, they were playing a medieval game and Michael would kill one of Alan's guys. And then he'd put out a dead guy that he sculpted of that guy. <laughs> and then Alan would kill him and then put out a dead guy of the guy he sculpted. And it just became this game of like, who could one up each other by putting out dead guys of the guys they sculpted. <laughs> It was awesome. He also said that, like, they, you know, this is a time when they were just sculpting for sculpting's sake, right? They were, nobody really, it was still, you know, it was still basically Star Trek first generation, right? You know, the, right. the, the boldly go was, was just, everybody's kind of learning, learning the business, as it were. So um, they would sculpt things, then they would, you know, constantly sculpting, they'd bring it in, and the mold makers are like, we can't cast that. And they're like, okay. So who knows how many awesome Perry sculpts are out there that never got cast? Well, right, maybe right, they right. do. Actually, they probably don't. They've done so many, but yeah. So, uh, yeah, love. The, I love the Perry twins. Um, when I was at Salute a couple of years ago, before that, uh, we had talked, and I had sent their 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 uh, their kids uh, wooden my wooden soldiers mm-hmm. right to play with, and um, and when I saw them at Salute, I was talking to Michael and Alan, and I'm like. And they're like, oh, my God, the wooden soldiers, they were awesome. The kids loved them. They put them together. Uh, my daughter was, like, painting one, but she was, like, really accurate with it. And she's like, no, it has to be this way. And I'm like, that's really cool. They're still playing them. Like, well, you know, they played one of them about two weeks. And then they kind of petered off. And I'm looking at them like, guys, like, every two weeks, we think about something cool that we want to sculpt or paint, right? They're like, mm-hmm. so I'm excited that I got kids to actually play with one of my toys for two whole weeks. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And they're yeah. like, here, have some, and then they're like, here, have these. And they handed me a couple of boxes of their cool, um, light cavalry figures. <laughs> like, yeah, good call. Boom. So yeah, cool. I love the Perry twins. Nice guys. Super nice guys. They, they sculpted one or the, one or both of them sculpted the early Imperial Roman figures that Foundry is still selling. Mm-hmm. I've got a good bit of those and mm-hmm. I am foolishly or not. I, I'm not ready to paint them, if that makes sense. I, I've started dabbling with them, but I decided ah, I I owe these figures a better paint job than I can currently give them. Uh, is, is how I feel about them. I, I know I shouldn't be that way, um, but that's that's just how it is. And one one of these days, I'll I'll paint them. But and uh, they're, they're, they're gorgeous figures. I like them because they're really kind of. Perry figures in general tend to be a bit tall and lanky, especially like the Napoleonics, which is mm-hmm. gorgeous because they're kind of, again, going with that style. But the Romans, they had that kind of Marius's mules feel to them, right? These guys are like yeah. five by five feet, <laughs> stocky. Right, right. And you know you know that when you hit that line, it's going to be like hitting linebackers. They're, the line's not going to move. That shield wall's not going to break. And exactly. I really like that look that they got with those figures. Yeah. the uh, my absolute My absolute favorite figure... Of, of any scale, of any genre, is the mid-90s metal Cadian plasma gunner. Mm, that's mm-hmm. that's kneeling. And I don't know why, but that is my favorite miniature gaming figure ever. Isn't that cool that we can have, like, we can pick up those little nuggets of, like, really cool sculpts and things that just, just talk to us? Oh, absolutely. And, and the thing is, of, of the... Of everything in 40k, of all the wildness and all the craziness, and you know, for every <laughs> for every crazy thing that's out there, there's two or three more that's that's even crazier. Their Cadians in the Valhallans, 
especially. The, the Valhallans and the Cadians that they did in the mid-90s just look like soldiers. And I'll, I'll always love those figures. The They're not my absolute favorite figures of all time. Uh, you know, in aggregate. Because that probably belongs to the the Mark Copplestone uh, Grenadier Future Warriors figures. Those are probably mm. my favorite mm. figures of all time. I'm uh, a big fan of Copplestone sculpts. Yeah. Um, but just spectacular. Um, I, and I love them to this day. I, and I've got a I've got a, it's my one, one of my fully painted armies or forces, however you want to look at it, is my is my Cadians from, from that era. But they're, they're in desperate need of a repaint because I can I can paint them so much better now, but I, well, I already yeah. know how I want to do it, but I've done a couple yeah, test figures, cool. but there's other stuff. There's other stuff I got to paint. I got to paint a, a shed load of skeletons, for example, but <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, you know, I think that we're on the same lines. I mean, my goal for was for Pacific, uh, Pacific on this year, which is our big West coast uh, in the Bay area, the biggest uh, war gaming historical game convention we have. Um, I'm going to be running a big, um, you know, I'm calling it the bad war, right? Which mm-hmm. is the, which is the historical term of usually in the Lonsknecht period, it was the Lonsknecht mercenaries fighting the Swiss mercenaries. And it was called the mm-hmm. bad war because there was like no quarter given, right? It was a yeah. horrible war, but I'm doing the same thing. Uh, similar to you, I'm slowly building up my, my Lonsknechts and also my undead because I want to do that. You know, it's going to be Lonsknechts versus undead Lonsknechts. You know, like, isn't Papa, is that you? um so yeah i I think i think as far as this exercise is is concerned i I think i'm done for now but let's let's revisit that next time you're on we'll just throw some names out and if you want to prepare ahead of time and throw some at me that's cool too and we'll (laughs) we'll see how that goes i think that would be a lot of fun sometime back to the actual agenda at hand um now you mentioned, or we've both mentioned the skeletons. Mm-hmm. So, and you mentioned undead lines connect. So I have to ask: Are there more skeletons in our future? Is a, is a triumph of death three in 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 the wings, so to speak? I don't. That's a good question. Um, uh, I definitely. I mean, I, I definitely want to get some other things out there before I do a triumph of death three. But mm-hmm. there are still things that I want to do with Triumph of Death 3. Um, you know, people have asked a little bit more about Heavy Cavalry. I did a Mounted General as one of the stretch goals uh, mm-hmm. for that, and people people bought a bunch of those because they were actually using them for, like, rank-and-file uh, Mounted Knights, which is how I designed them, because you have options for shield, no shield, right. and different weapon, weapon types, right? I wanted to give those options to give that up. But, um, but I might do that. Um, I've actually designed... Uh, I did a prototype design for um, Steel Fist Miniatures um, mm-hmm. last year or so, uh, which make beautiful lines connects for those you guys do. don't know. Um, uh, um, I did a, um, for Simon Chick, I did a, um, a Burgundian War Wagon. Mm. Now, uh, uh, Burgundian War Wagons are, it's kind of a misnomer. They are a wagon because they have four wheels and they're pulled by animals, but they're not a wagon <laughs> that you sit in. They're actually like a, a wall on wheels. Yeah. And uh, and they would use these walls um, to basically circle their camps or battlefield areas, right, to make a, a wall. And then the wall has sliding doors in it, and these little angled sliding doors, and they mount a swivel gun in there, right? So they would load up the swivel gun, 
open up the doors, fire the swivel gun, close the doors, reload it, and that end kind of thing. They would also sometimes leave the doors open and then run a cannon barrel out them, right? Like a, an actual saker or, or, or demi-culverine or something uh, uh, out there. And then on the side of the wagon, uh, on the walls, there's little gun ports for crossbows or arquebusiers or something to kind of shoot out of. And they would logger these things together. So I figured out, I worked with Simon on some historical research on these and got some good drawings um, and then built a couple of prototypes and laser cut them and got, got a, and then I had uh, Drew sculpt the, um, the swivel gun. So I actually have those. I've just never put them out on market. Um, Simon has them too. And he has the, he uh, can actually, he was talking about trying to get his sculptor to sculpt basically human gun crews for it. But for me, I'm actually going to do the undead gun crews for them. Oh, so that's like yes. to, give, to give that idea of that kind of thing. Um, um, maybe for Pacificon at that time, I'll have Drew do like one of the figures up for me. Uh, a lot of the gun crews that we already built for the cannon, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Drew, maybe if you have the gunner holding the fuse up like this, because then I can actually use it for the swivel guns, right? right. Uh, and we can do some. And the nice thing about my undead is they're pretty easy to do some quick conversions for because I have a lot of open handed guys. So right, that right. you can do just that, right? Um, you know, now we have the hand gunners and we have undead crossbow and they actually do fit well on the wagon. So, so that's one thing. Um, I'd like to do some more cannon variants. I don't know if, I don't know if there's enough out there to do, um, a full Kickstarter. So these might be things that I just actually put up on my store. I don't know yet. I don't know mm. yet. But, uh, that being said, I just picked up this really wonderful book and I do recommend it. I don't know if we talked about it last time. It's called Lons Connects on Campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, uh, Battle and Seed Scenes in Detail from Geisberg's German Single Cut Woodcuts. And it's um, put together by uh, Marion McNeely. I'll send you the link to it. Uh, right. But it's a must-have book. It's basically page after page after page of German single-leaf wood blocks of battles and soldiers and sieges and camps and cannons and marching routes and things like that. Um, and the cool thing that Marion does is uh, uh, the editor took it and it's you get like um, one page that's like the full or it's a double page spread of the whole battlefield, right? Mm -hmm. Cause these things are these massive battlefields. And right. then there's like, and then there's 10 to 20 pages of close-ups on little scenes of the battlefield. Oh, nice. Like, you know, like, like how they actually, you know, did their, how they put their guns together with all of the, um, um, what do you call those? The, the wicker baskets with all the dirt in them. Gabions. Gabions. The gabions, right? Or you can see like, you know, in camp and how, all of the beer barrels and water barrels are put together and how they would actually put tents over them to shade them. And the guys mm -hmm. playing dice on the, you know, like, like here's one thing I haven't done yet. Like these little vignette. So I think maybe if, if I do a next uh, Tramp of Death Kickstarter, it'll be a little vignette type stuff. Like, like the two skeletons playing dice on a drum. Yeah. You know, those kind of things, you know, like a mortar. I haven't done a mortar crew yet, you know, or, or a nice shoal dice. There's, there's definitely a lot of great characters in here. So I think that instead of doing, um, like my other ones have been a lot of rank and file army pieces. Maybe mm -hmm. the next Kickstarter will be more about vignettes. Yeah. And I think that that would be, uh, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, and I am, I am somewhat partial to Bruegel's triumph of death and there's all sorts of mm -hmm. vignettes you could take from that. Of course, you know, they're, the, they're absolutely, you know, the, the guy with the fiddle and the, the flayed human face <laughs> mask, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yep, just yep, and uh, there's the judges. Test up. The oh thing. yeah. There's the Catherine oh, yeah. wheels. There's the uh, uh, the the knight uh, fighting uh, death right in the very front centerpiece, right? You know, mm -hmm. there's the uh, the yeah. There's so many cool pieces, and then 
also in you know in in the Totenkopf pieces there's so the woodcuts there's so many great pieces like the king with the skeleton putting the crown on his head yeah, yeah. like those kind of memento mori type things are just so awesome <laughs> so yeah there's lots of potential there and there may be a triumph of death three but first i've got to get breaking lances out killer rabbits out <laughs> right <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely um anyone that's followed anyone that's taken a look at or followed the skull and crown page or your personal page has also seen the kessel run game that you put Mm -hmm. together for for your son uh for for his birthday birthday party party, right yeah Yeah, absolutely absolutely yeah it was a star wars themed birthday party my wife did a phenomenal cake that was basically uh Darth Vader's helmet, the one, the burned version of it, because that's what mm-hmm. he wanted. My wife is a, a bakestress. She does these phenomenal uh, birthday and wedding cakes. They not only look awesome, but they taste so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So the Kessel Run game, yeah. So the um, the idea there was like, so when we throw birthday parties for for our fosslings, um, I I'm in charge of like what we're gonna do at the party. So mm-hmm. I, I'm always putting together you know games and whatnot. Uh, and projects because I always, I always like to build up you know I'm an artist and I don't want to do arts and crafts and, and also let, let the kids build something that they can take home with them afterwards and um, this particular one um, uh, was based on a game that I did for my daughter's birthday uh, a, a year two years ago which was snail races mm-hmm. um, and um, that one I had uh, literally had uh, 24 hours to design the entire thing because I thought that uh, I thought that we'd already had something in the can, and then and then the, the, the things changed, plans changed, yeah. mistakes were made, <laughs> and I had 24 <laughs> hours to design the game. Uh, so what I did was um, I took the I already had the the medieval manuscript uh, drawings of snails, so I basically translated that in a vector form and laser cut out a bunch of big snails about the size. Their shells are about the size of your fist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I made a racetrack. I quickly laser cut out a racetrack and figured out the rules where you're basically the, the kids uh, would base uh, assemble and paint up their snails. And they're using felt pins in this case because it's really easy on the wood and it works great for the parties. Um, and uh, yeah, and and then they were going to race them. So there were six lanes. Um, the track went. Um, um, you know the craft foam. Mm-hmm sheets right so i use those for the track so that's a so i figure like again you're like you know as a designer you're like designing like what do i have and then i'm going right. to design things around what i have so so the, i had those and I, so the, that uh delineated size of snails and size of track and how many uh how many sections of uh, or spaces i'd get on a track so I, I laser cut out about six of those and then it was really basic rules where each person dices to see how far they're moving and they can move forward one space uh, for one point, or go sideways, side slip uh, for two points. Two, you know, so if you roll uh, a five on a dice, you could go five straight ahead, or you could go two forward and you know one over, and then another one forward. That kind of thing. So that was the idea. Now on the track, there were hazards. Um, I had um, um, salt, which of course would just kill you. There were uh, there's uh, there's uh, shrubbery like lettuce, and if you went through that, you got an extra uh, an extra die roll because it was like a power up. And then mm. there was water, and the water was like a side slip, so it allowed you to go to slide forward one or slide either direction one, right? Because you mm-hmm. have snails like that. And the way the rules worked is, um, uh, so you rolled the dice, and if you rolled a one, that was an event. 
uh, a one or a six. If you rolled a one or a six, you got an event. And the event was you rolled the dice and one of those uh, those hazards that I just talked about would happen. But then you basically, it was like a grid system, right? Like artillery. So you would, from wherever your snail was, you'd roll 1d6 to see how far out it went. And then 1d6 to see which track it would land in. <laughs> oh, nice. And that way, that way the track's always changing up ahead. You don't know what's going to go on. Right. Right and, right. and and even if and if you're in last place, that could very much affect the person in first place. Oh sure. Right. You know, you can let, if salt lands on them, then they're out of the race. So anyway, yeah. um, I thought, okay, this silly dumb race, and that, I just told you all the rules, right? Until somebody gets to the end, and the kids played it like a dozen times, and then asked <laughs> for more pieces and like other snails so they could put racing stripes on them because I won, and and I made little trophies of gold, silver, and you know, and bronze. Uh, snails for to give away so the core rules i'm like it, when when i started building the kessel run um i basically took those core rules and then mm -hmm. expanded upon them and uh what i did was i designed and laser cut out um little millennium falcon that were mm, the they're about 50 millimeters by i don't know 30 or 40 millimeters right yeah with just mm -hmm. the, just the right amount of detail and they're on stands and the stands hold dice so that the dice are basically your hit points so everything travels with it, the figure, and, and goes. And uh, and each kid got to design their uh, and and paint up their uh, Millennium Falcons. And if you guys go to my blog, you'll see uh, you'll see that. And they did they did an awesome job. They made so many cool designs. I was really blown away. And they were so into it. They were really into it. They spent about forty minutes just draw, uh, painting on and 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 designing their ships. And then and then basically what the Kessel Run is is I I took a I have a four by six uh, stretcher bar that I make all my my uh, game mats on so i stretch a canvas on it a black canvas and then i'm like how am i going to do this so i cut out a bunch of pieces of tape um that that were again um you know the blue painter's tape right and you can buy the wide like one and a half two inch painter's tape well that was my that was my my marker for how big i was going to make the bases for the millennium falcons <laughs> right so again mm -hmm. yeah if the Work, work around the pieces. And this is actually something that Adam Savage taught me when I had actually worked with him a little bit. Mm. It was like figuring out lists and figuring out what things you have on hand and then use those for your measurement points to actually um, to actually build your piece, right? So it's a good sense of scale. So what I did was I cut, and actually helped my son help me, cut out a bajillion uh, pieces of tape that were four inches long by the two inches wide. And then I started laying those out on the, uh, on the canvas. And trying to figure this kind of swirl track. Before that, I think I took chalk and kind of drew out the general outline that I wanted, right? right? right. And then I started laying those out, and then I'd play test it by like putting a couple of bases on there, and then dicing it and seeing how it felt and movement, and then spread some out here and some, you know, move some around there. Once I got it where I liked, then I basically took some rattle cans and sprayed over those to kind of uh, some with some white paint, and then splattered some red and yellow paint to kind of get kind of a star field around them. And then I actually took some uh, acrylic paint and spattered it and then painted it in a little bit to kind of get some nebula looks. And then, um, and that became, and then when I peeled them off, the, um, the space around it was painted, but it was still black where all this, all the squares were. And it gave you a really nice look. And I actually, I stole this idea directly from somebody else that I saw on the internets that did a beautiful pod racing game that did something very similar with the, the tape down and then spraying mm -hmm. it. And I can't remember his name, but we, oh, I feel badly. Uh, we both talked afterwards and I like totally gave him uh, kudos and props for stealing his idea. And then we, we talked a couple of times. I've actually sent him the Kessel Run rules so he can build his own thing. So anyway, the um, that's how I built the track. 
uh, I laser cut the Millennium Falcons for the kids to play out of, but then I needed some hazards. So I made, I crushed up a bunch of um, uh, foam balls to make asteroids. So mm -hmm. asteroids would be one of the hazards. Um, and then I um, designed some TIE fighters and I did them vertically instead of kind of horizontally top down on Plexi and then painted them in. So it's like a squad of TIE fighters and then built nice. them on a base. So then you had TIE fighter patrols and those were the, uh, two, the two hazards that I had. So when, um, when, uh, and then the other, um, the other dice roll on hazards could be like you, it's, Oh, it was punch it chewy. Right. Yeah. So you got punch it chewy. <laughs> so you got an extra dice roll to actually, uh, to actually go ahead if in. So, yeah. Um, so, um, so same rules, you know, players are dice to go forward. You couldn't pass through another player. Um, and then, uh, when hazards happen, they happen. And then the TIE fighters would chase players around. And I had little gun sticks, all, uh, um, uh, wings of war style, right. And you just mm -hmm. lay the stick down and they're like, does it hit you? Okay. Well then, then you take X points, right. I think for, uh, TIE fighters, there were three TIE fighters on a, on a base. So that, and then they helped that. And then they had a D six set to three on the base. So if there were three TIE fighters left, then, um, that you took three points damage, right? And then players could shoot shoot at them, and then do damage and either blow them away or knock them down to like one guy and stuff like that. So that was a those are the hazards. But then when you came around to the final part, there was the um, oh my gosh, I can't even remember the name of it. The uh, the big space monster. Yeah. The, um. Now I feel like I have to go to my blog to actually look at that. <laughs> uh, the 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 varmoth or whatever it was, and yeah. um, so space I made. The space squid, yeah. So that he was basically like the boss fight at the end of the race, and he's blocking. And in that in that very uh, arcade game kind of way, each turn he would randomly move forward a couple of squares or sideways, one left or right a couple of squares, right? So mm -hmm. he's blocking the path. And if you um and if you uh, touched his tentacles, you took d6 damage. And I think a ship could only take 12 points damage to start with, right? Mm. So and, and if you and if you actually ran into its mouth, um, then you were just dead. Yeah. So they had to kind of get over them. And so that was like the boss fight. And so players would start slowing down or they would speed up and they'd try to get past them. Um, one, uh, one young lady, one, she actually got punch it tree right at the end and just zipped right past it and only took like, and only took like one point of damage. It was just, like, you couldn't have asked for a better end. And then, the, and then second and third place guys uh, both got eaten. <laughs> so it really, it really worked out well. And it was a lot of fun. Um, Obviously, this is not something I can like publish because it's right. straight up Star Wars, right? Yeah. Um, and, and at one point, uh, then we played it again, and I let players halfway through shoot at each other. <laughs> then, and that's that's when, when it, the idea came to me. Instead of it just being a Kessel Run, then it became Smuggler's Run, right? So you right. could use any genre, any ships. This could be forty k Rogue Traders or whatever you want. And then, and then it becomes like who can get the everybody has the information. Who can actually get through the wormhole fast enough to be the first one in the wormhole to get the information to, you know, to, to claim the prize or something. Right. So, right. so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tweaking those. I'll probably, that's like a good thing that I can put like in an article in like war game soldier strategy or, or war games illustrated. I actually owe tread away a couple of articles already. So he gets first dibs on these, but nice. yes, yeah, I think like, like a fun game like that will happen anyway. Yeah. So that's, that's the Kessel run game. Um, again, I've got lots of pictures on the making of it, plus the gaming of it on my blog. Yeah, that, that's just a lot of fun. And um, something that between, well, between you, Per Broden, and myself, we could probably get together 
and have a discussion on gaming with your kids. Because are you are you familiar with Pear Broden? No, I'm sorry to say, but I'm I've just yeah, heard his name. Down. He he's he's Swedish, but he lives in London, and he talks about playing with his uh, playing games with his son Max all the time. Mm-hmm. And and I've been playing games more with my kids, and I, I think there's definitely room on this show to talk about that because it, it's definitely something that I found enjoyable is uh, like playing Hero Quest with my son. He's really really gotten into playing Hero Quest and really gets into playing it and uh, we played at J3 with my brother and, and another guy as well and of course the only one left standing at the, <laughs> at the end was was Master J but um, <laughs> yeah um, Pear's blog is called Rolla One. Oh, I know that I, I know his blog yeah, yeah, pair, and uh, I, I'd actually like to have him on the show. He's been on, he's been on Henry Hyde's show, and he's been on the God's Own Scale podcast also. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely think we could probably get together and have a nice inter intercontinental chat about. Uh, I, I would absolutely love that. that. Uh, you know, re- yeah, really, Jay. Most all of my games are designed for my kids, right? Um, I actually I call them uh, it's fossiling proving grounds. When I was designing my wooden soldiers. <laughs> I would, I would make a prototype and I would hand it to them. And at the time they were like, you know, five and three and I would set a 20 minute timer. And if it came back to me before 20 minutes broken, then I needed to redesign that model. Nice. This is, I redesigned, I redesigned my horse four times yeah. until, until they didn't bring it broken, right? Uh, and, and same thing with my rules, like the breaking lances. I mean, it, it literally is the, 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 the core underlining a system of it is rock, paper, scissors. Right. right? And, and I use them as my play testers. Um, uh, same thing with um, the, the arenas of id game that I'm working on. They're my play testers right now that they're mm-hmm. older, they're, they're 13 and 10. And, uh, and you know, they, they, they're fantastic. They give really good feedback on questions and they run things and they, you know, they, they have a, a really good viewpoint because ultimately like when I'm running games in my rules, I'm running these at, at conventions and right. the, the time you have to actually teach someone a set of rules and get them stuck into play is about 10 minutes, right? If you're taking longer than 10 minutes to explain something and they can't get the core rules, then it's going to be super hard. And, and so I just really design all my games that I can, I can teach you the, the, the basic rules in 10 minutes and, or less, and then get you stuck in. And then you'll start understanding the nuances of the game as we go, or like you really start getting it. You start asking questions like, Hey, can I actually do this instead of this? I'm like, yes, actually you can. Right. That kind of thing. So I, I would love that. That I think it's a, there, uh, I actually have an article, uh, called, uh, armchair journals of the future that I wrote about. That's all about, um, about like how to run games for kids at conventions and, mm-hmm. and, the you know because we're really bringing up the next generation of gamers right right and like you know and, and like teaching them gaming etiquette like how you pick up your dice things like that right you know teaching them that like um not everybody wins you know mm-hmm. like and okay, I, I have kids coming up to me afterwards i'm like well don't because in my wooden wars game i actually give medals to people when they do mm-hmm. something spectacular i give them medals and i also have a, a medal called the busy bee medal it's a little uh, like french bee and I usually give that to the parent that's playing that, that like is tossing rubber balls and just can't hit anything. But like, it's like, you know, I'm like, well, like 
the emperor sees you, you're like hurling balls left, right, and so he's like, that person must be doing a fabulous job. We're going to give him a medal and then give it to right. the parent. And they're, they're embarrassed and the kids laugh and it's fun. But that, that's the camaraderie of that, right? And like watching, right, right. you know, teamwork together. But you'll get some kid coming in and like, don't I get a medal? I'm like, well, what did you do to deserve that medal? Like, well, I played the game. I'm like, did you have fun? Yeah, I had a great time. I'm like, well, then that's your that's your reward, right? right. That's the thing. Like, and then I explained like that young lady got that medal because she took that cavalry, moved it around the flank, broke a square and captured a gun battery. That was pretty scary, right? Mm-hmm. That was awesome, right? That guy got a medal because he sacrificed his unit. He supported the other unit so they could get in to capture the flag and win the game. Like, that's why you get the medals. And the kid came back the next day and said, I'm, I, I want cavalry. I want to try that tactic. You know, so that's the kind of thing that you get, right? You, you love when you get those kind of moments. And right. uh, I, I think it's important to be able to, to bring kids into it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's one of the things I like doing at a convention is, is to have kids play. And that's one of the great things about going to recruits, which, which you've been to. And you do get that larger percentage of kids and not necessarily sons and daughters of gamers, but just students at that school. Yeah, that was, I I really enjoyed going to recruits. That was a really fun, fun convention. And, you know, Dwayne Fleck, the, the mastermind behind it, you know, he's history teacher there at least Summit high. And Mm -hmm. he gives his kids extra credit for, for going, you know, just, just just to participate just to see what the deal is and and it's great because you get you you get to show them the hobby and the best you know of course the best part of the hobby you know you always put your best foot forward but getting to see these kids you know then some of the kids are just bored to tears they're there to get the extra credit and that's it they're there for the minimum time necessary then they're going to go and do whatever it is high school kids do these days and I'd, I'd probably rather not know because of my daughter starting high school next year or this year <laughs> um, but uh, but every once in a while there's that kid that shows up that's never even seen any of these games and then the mm-hmm. light bulb goes off and you can see it in his eyes or her eyes and that's so rewarding when you're running the game and they're having a great time and it, it's it's just great. I, I love I love introducing people to this hobby, and because you know they're they're the future of the hobby. You know, absolutely, it's really and, fun. Um, we have a convention. I, Recruits was a fantastic convention. I was so uh, privileged to be a, a guest of honor there and run my Wooden Wars games. It was really fun. Uh, not only being able to see a bunch of people that you know I've been talking to on Facebook, like you and whatever, but but just to, to to just um, see all those young people there, like you said, it was really, and it wasn't only that, but like the vibe there was, was great. Like it was like, like the, um, you know, the key club was running the snack bar, right. And the mm-hmm. money was going towards the basketball team. And the entrance fee was just like five bucks because, so everybody could get in and mm-hmm. everybody, you know, the, the tables for selling and people were me. It was like, it wasn't like this huge entry fee, you know, here, here at the dealer's rooms, it's like, you know, it starts at like 250 bucks a table, 300 bucks a table. And then it's like, you know, 600 bucks for two tables. You're like, well, I could sit behind tables while they sell and stuff, or I could be outside playing games and, you know, running games and, and having fun there right. that like, it was like low entry tables and people were like making cool terrain. And like, you know, I bought, I bought this one guy was finding old prints from, you know, period stuff and finding old frames and framing. I bought a gorgeous, uh, like 1812 Marine off of him, like this, you know, like a, um, uh, mm-hmm. a lithograph. 
And I, and I just love that. It was really, really neat. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't say enough good things about recruits and sadly real life in-person recruits is canceled this year, but they are looking to do a virtual recruits. Like I got to get in on that. I'll, I'll figure something out for that, but excellent. You, you we'll mentioned, Oh, absolutely. You, you mentioned the arena of id wizard mm-hmm. dueling and it's on our agenda. So we got to talk about that now. So yeah. give us the, give us the, What's the 30-second elevator pitch for Arena of Id? Um, let's see. How do I do this in 30 seconds? Diehard Miniatures makes awesome figures, and I made a game for them. That's the upshot, right? Tim Prow had a Kickstarter out that was basically Wizards and Their Apprentices, and they're familiars. I was looking at what Tim was doing, and I wrote him like, you've got like the perfect setup for some sort of dueling game. And he's like, Oh, that's a really cool idea. I'm like, well, here's a, here's a pitch. Just like you got, you should do something like this. And I threw a, like, you know, a napkin style pitch of a, of a game. Like here's a couple, here's a one, like a, you know, like I've been talking about with the snail raises. Here's a two page set of rules. Here you go. Have fun with them. And he's like, Oh, could you elaborate on these? I'm going to do this and this and this with these figures. So this is figures. And so then it turned into like, instead of just like the, a two pager, now it's like, I don't know what are we up to that? Uh, 15 pages, mm-hmm. you know, because it's got all the spells and everything. So the upshot is basically um, you have a dueling arena in, in the, in id, which is the world that the diehard miniatures has created. And uh, at the ends of are the wells where you can draw energy from. And it's basically two wizards smacking down on each other, all a kind of uh, Harry Potter style. Uh, or mm-hmm. it's kind of Harry Potter meets Magic the Gathering, uh, where you have a certain amount of points, and each uh, spell costs points. Um, so you can you can cast figures, you can or you can summon monsters, you can um, cast spells. Um, you have a familiar with you, which familiars are kind of like spell uh, spell bags, so that you can hold more magic points if you have a familiar. Plus, they give you bonuses for casting particular spells, and you can have more mm-hmm. than one familiar. And that's kind of it. So it's basically it's kind of like a scrum between two wizards. And sometimes, you know, if you want to be the guy that, that summons lots of monsters that basically goes and zergs the other wizard to take him out, that's awesome. Or if you're the wizard that wants to actually like throw a bunch of, you know, fireballs and magic spells and lightning bolts, you can be that guy too. And uh, so I put together a set of rules and, um, and as I was doing it, Tim started sculpting more figures. So I had to add more to it. And, um, and they're in right now they're in what I would call beta playtest period. So okay. the rules work. They're a lot of fun. Um, we have, I think we're, you know, the Kickstarter delivers in October. So we've got like Ken and James is doing the artwork for him, which is awesome. Um, Chris Walton did the layout for the, for my, for my arena map. It's like, I get to play with, basically this is me getting to play with all these guys and, and collaborate to make something cool. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. And so the, the rules are down to right now where we're play testing it and tuning i'm just like tuning numbers like that you know the points to cast that cost too much man that monster hits too hard or not hard enough that kind of thing is where i'm at right so play test play test play test and the way that i'm doing that jay is um on roll d20 nice i mean i'm doing it here at home too with my fossilings uh but um my group the denizens of the dark is my my war my local local wargaming club of my pals that i've been gaming with since college and um because I'm in Silicon Valley, I've got a lot of tech savvy friends and um, they know how to work the roll D20 thing fine. The, they imported my map into the game and we imported some placeholder uh, critters for all the summons into the game. 
and we talk on Discord, and uh, we use Rule D20 to play the game and play test, and it works really great. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's very cool to hear. Um, I'm all about skirmish gaming. I, I think that there's great great fun to be had there, and uh, you know, there's there's always a possibility of integrating that into a larger game somehow. I'm, I'm kind of kicking around ideas for Brandberg on how to kind of have like a Brandberg day. Maybe not mm-hmm. at J3, but just have like a Brandberg day where we play multiple games in the Brandberg setting, but they're not necessarily the same game, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, sure. No, you so, can do the big battles. You can do a Breaking Lances version with Brandberg figures. Yeah, right? absolutely. Oh, now, I, now I want to sculpt an undead wooden wars. Oh, man, I'm writing that down. I'll give you credit <laughs> for it. Oh, that'd be so cool. So, I, yeah. I, I've I, actually... Yeah, no, I could see that. And the, yeah, then you could do the Wizards duel. Um, uh, the way that I've actually set up the uh, the the tournament, the the arenas of id, it can actually be a convention game where you where you have like a just like the jousting strips. You've got different wizards dueling each other, and then you do process of elimination kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love the I love the idea of a persistent and eh, maybe not persistent, but an ongoing convention game that you can jump in and out of as you wish, you know, the type of thing where you jump in and play for 20, 30 minutes and then go take a look at the dealer tables. And then you come back mm-hmm. an hour later and you play for another 20 or 30 minutes and then you go get something to eat. And, and it just <laughs> continues on throughout the day. There's a couple guys there in Kansas city, um, uh, Randy Rice and Frank Bua that for years have run an ongoing game like that um, where you take a single figure, a single Warhammer figure, and that's your character. And you keep fighting until he dies, and then you get another character. And mm-hmm. you know they would keep a tally throughout the day of how many victories and how many deaths you had. And they called it the Tournament of Champions. And at some point, it was kind of loosely based on Warhammer, but as other systems came in, they took bits and pieces from other games and crafted those on until it was kind of like a, a Frankenstein's monster of a game. But, mm-hmm. you know, they at one point they had this huge, well, I say huge, it was probably about six inch, eight inch diameter brass bell that whenever someone got a kill, they'd clang that bell real loud. You could hear out throughout the hall and people would be shouting and yelling and huzzah and, and all that good stuff. And very cool. Really a lot of fun. Um, so definitely worth checking out. Cause the, he, the, um, I think Randy still does it or no rank. Frank still does it. Um, I'm not sure what happened to Randy, but um, definitely if, if you're back in recruits, definitely worth looking up. Cause it's uh, a, a lot of fun. And again, it's one of those things, you know, convention game, you want to have fun. You want to have people be able to jump in and, and, and just get to business. So, <laughs> but you know, like you, you were saying, I, I totally agree with that, but I, I, I laughed because in the old school days, when I would play in the grand manner or those big Napoleonic games, which are absolutely gorgeous, right? It mm-hmm. would take you a half hour to an hour before you got a turn. So yeah. you would, you would, you would move your artillery, you'd scout with your cavalry, you'd move your three units and then, okay, I'm going to go to the dealer's room. <laughs> yeah. Right. When, and actually, interestingly enough, that's, I, I, I rebelled against that so much that all of my games 
are about um, when I'm doing something, you're doing something too, mm -hmm. right? It's not necessarily I go, you go so much as like, like in my jousting game, we're, we're both going together at the same time, right? Until something right. smacks, right? So right. like you know, my reaction is your reaction. In Wooden Wars, I guess it's, you know, I mean, I go, you go, but, but I alternate uh, each side who goes, right? Mm -hmm. So like one full side goes, it's like, okay, you do a unit, you activate a unit, you activate a unit, that kind of thing. So there's definitely a reason to be there. Absolutely. I, I love that, um, that, that kind of internal champion idea. That's really fun. The one, one last thing you've got, uh, well, you've got a couple things on, that you added to the agenda here that we'll touch on real quickly. We also have some listener questions. I threw it out to folks on Twitter oh, that really if they cool. had some questions, hey We'll we'll hit those we'll hit those last. Um, last time we talked, you were the lead designer for Neverwinter, mm -hmm. and now you are on Magic Legends. That's correct. I'm, I uh, stepped off of, of being the lead, and I am now principal designer, helping to get Magic Legends out the door. Um, uh, Magic Legends is our new AARPG kind type uh, game uh, that's based on Magic: The Gathering. Mm -hmm. um and um but it's not like a card trading game you're actually playing a planeswalker and you're collecting spells but it's a very fast-paced kind of uh action adventure kind of role-playing game and okay. um and it's it's uh really fun we're actually doing um a live uh we're doing our second uh alpha right now um and then um closed beta happens soon <laughs> in an undetermined time that i can't talk about uh yeah. but yeah so, so it's Fast Pace Action Role-Playing Game, you play one of the different classes, um, and then you can actually grow your class. You, you start off, we have Geomancers, Sanctifiers, classic things that, that anybody in the Magic the Gathering world will know. Um, and um, so we are licensed through Wizards of the Coast, and uh, this is actually the second game, because of course Neverwinter is also a D&D &D brand. Right. So we work very closely with Wizards of the Coast, and and, and Cryptic's very proud that we, um, that we are kind of the... Um, the wardens, the safekeepers of these licenses that they trust us so much with them. Right. Uh, which is really super cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, uh, one of my roles at cryptic, uh, over the years, this is my 16th year at cryptic studios, uh, which mm. is really cool to be in a game company, a video game company that long, um, is I've kind of been a fire jumper. Uh, so either starting up a game to get it, to get it going and forward, uh, like Neverwinter. And then also, and then jumping onto the game towards the end of it to make sure that everything's in place and you know it's the Zerg time and get it out the door like I did with uh, Star Trek Online and Champions. Um, so um, likewise with uh, uh, with Magic, um, you know, there's a lot of work there to get to get a game uh, launched. Um, so I'm uh, uh, now working there as a principal designer and working on some uh, really cool content there. It's super fun. The effects are gorgeous. The, the spells are really cool. The way we do spells is um, you'll have your deck of 12 car, uh, spells that you choose and um, from any class in different colors, right? But uh, you always have four on deck at any given time and they randomize. So you never know actually which spells you're going to have. Hmm. Uh, and um, that makes it really fun because um, a lot of the spells will actually... Um, support each other so you're hoping that you get like the right randomization or like one pops up you're going to hold it until you get the next spell so then you can actually play them together um and um and yeah you just clobber clobber lots of critters and you summon lots of critters and then you can make your critters grow or you can sacrifice your critters to make zombies show up it's like you know it's it's magic the gathering yeah now is that going to be multi multi-platform so i can 
Yes, it will be multi-platform. We will be launching first on PC. Okay. And then after that, we follow in the different platforms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. And it's up to three players can play together. Oh, cool. So in a lot of our, uh, a lot of our skirmishes, the events, the, um, the overworld stuff, all, all uh, up to three players. Very cool. Okay. Well, we will keep an eye out for that for sure. So if you're going into a closed so beta before too long, maybe Christmas time, or is that I don't too know aggressive? if we've announced a date yet, so I'm not going to tell you. I, I get a big, big trouble calling at any kind of date. That's still NDA type stuff. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But and that being said, you can go online uh, to Arc Games and uh, and check out the Magic Gathering stuff. We've got a bunch of developer blogs on the making of it. You can see how gorgeous the game is and how fast mm-hmm. the gameplay is and just how impactful the spells are. When you get, it's really, it's really sexy and cool, fun. Cool. Oh, I would hope. Though, and now you've got a mention here, fifth ed write-ups that you did for Cave at Westphalia. What's that yeah. seems kind of cryptic to me, not you know, not having to do with your your employer, but yes. Um, well, so um, I, I don't know. Um, Kaway did these really cool loot crate boxes that he's doing, right? Are you familiar mm-hmm. with those? And I'm uh, familiar with the idea, but I didn't know that yeah. he was doing anything like that specifically. He did it specifically, and uh, the loot crate that he's based it on, and he has uh, his sculptor Boris. His sculptor, the the amazing sculptor Boris, uh, who's uh, who Kawi got to, to sculpt him some stuff, is doing these great. Um, uh, it's basically Mandalorian but medieval. Mm. So you've got the Paladorian, who has like a Barbie <laughs> that looks like a Mandalorian, and he's carrying around the baby, but the baby's a baby tiefling. Mm-hmm. And then they have a uh, a construct. Right, that looks like looks very much like an interesting robot, <laughs> mm. and then and there's the the woman fighter who's like a knight. You know, it's like if you if you know the Mandalorian story, all these mm. characters seem really familiar to you. What I did was, uh, Kawi came to me and asked me um, if I could help him out, and I basically did fifth edition D and D write ups for all these characters as NPCs, or if you want to play them as players, right? So you can set up either way. So they've got their spell list, they've got their their XP, they've got their their backstory and all that stuff. So I basically made uh, fifth ed uh, sheets for them, just like you would uh, like have a regular D and D sheet. And that cool. was a, that was a really fun challenge. Cool. All right. Well, on that note, I think we should probably take a look at some of these listener questions. And we've already covered some of them, but there's some. There's some prizes in here, so let's let's jump in. Uh, first was Conrad Kench, who is a quest at a questing vol on Twitter. He also is the host of the Send Three and Four Pence podcast cool. over Hi, in Conrad. Ireland, and he says, "Really hoping Skull and Crown get a UK EU distributor. Is there any movement in that direction?" There's been a little bit of movement. Um, I'm definitely in talks with three different groups of people, mm-hmm. uh, three different companies. Uh, one to actually do the laser cut wooden stuff and the other two for um, for my miniatures. The challenge here is the startup cost of something like that, right? Mm, yeah. uh, if, you look at, if you look at Triumph of Death, right? Like I could do, sure, you could have the four horsemen. You know, I could do that. 
and like send it over to one of the companies to cast as kind of feature figures. But people want all the stuff, right? Like, uh, and the problem with that is like when you're talking about its production startup costs and right now, Triumph of Death is 25 production molds. Wow. Right. It's a, it's a, there's a lot of figures there. Right. And if I'm going to be a lot of rubber and you figure that molds cost between 100 and 200 dollars depending on who's making them and what style mold you're making whether master molds or production molds right so you start seeing that runs into a lot of upfront money mm-hmm. right plus a company over there can't just start with production molds you have to send them masters they have to make master molds which then they make them the mold so that even adds another 10 molds to that easy right right so your your startup production costs start running into like four grand five grand just to get figures over to the uk right mm-hmm. <laughs> And at, when I'm looking at those costs, I could actually charge less for shipping overseas and make more money on that. And I, right. you know, it, it ends up being, I mean, at the end of the day, that those are like business decisions. Not that I don't want, I would love to get people my toys and, and to play with. And actually in my last Killer Rabbits Kickstarter, um, 30% of my backers were overseas, right? right. Not in the US, you know, even like as far as Tasmania, which is so cool. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, you know, and and it costs. And what I what I really try to do is I I defer the costs as much as I can. Um, The weights, you know, it goes by weight and stuff like that. And and it is challenging. But um, but I would love to have a UK distributor there just so like they're they're at conventions and then like I get I can get in conventions free, (laughs) and then go run games and then be able to support whoever's you know carrying my stock. Uh, Right. So, you know. Um, I definitely am looking at it and I am in negotiations with a couple of companies. We're just, I'm just trying to figure out the numbers and see if it's worthwhile. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing is, it's, it is one of those things I got to imagine is purely a business decision. And, you know, unfortunately at the end of the day, someone's got to, someone's got to pay that money to make that happen. Cause you know, it's certainly, yeah, it's a lot of money, but it's certainly cheaper than continually mailing stuff or even shipping stuff in a container on a boat, and then you don't get it for four months, you know? Yeah, yeah, or just stuffing your suitcases full and then flying over with, you know, like here's, you know, six months worth of stock. That's actually, yeah. I, I, I seriously consider that, right? You know, you can put like, what, up to 50 pounds in a, in a thing? That's a, that's, that's a, that's quite a bit of stock. Four boxes, five boxes, you spend $1,000 doing that. And then, and mm-hmm. then flying over and then delivering that, you know, plus customs and stuff like that. That's actually much cheaper way to do that than mm-hmm. selling it. But then, yeah. but then if you're selling it, you know, so the breakdown usually the, for them that don't know, right. is like when you're looking at sales and th- this is a weird business kind of thing, something you sell at $10 should cost you a dollar to make. Now that's absolutely yeah. not true in the miniatures, but actually the, the numbers are go all over the place on that. That's kind of the thing. And so if you go with that $10, $1 thing, here's the way it works. You sell it, you take your $1 thing, you sell it to the distributors for $4. They sell right. it to the store for $6 and then the store sells it for $10. So right. you think like, oh my gosh, you're making a lot of money. No, I'm not. I'm actually making $4 <laughs> and I'm actually making $3 because it costs me a dollar to make it. And then plus yeah. shipping, picking it up cost me an extra 50 cents or dollar right so so those numbers dwindle really fast unless you can get big oh, yeah. volume out there right and that's right, where right, right. and that's where i'm in negotiation with like look if i'm willing if i'm going to drop four grand just on molds 
Plus, then it's going to cost me for them to cast them and package them and label them and ship them. Like, you know, like where's I need to make sure that that they're going to do a lot of that. The distributor. It needs to be a real partnership. It needs to be a love thing. Right. Like in one of the partners that we've been talking to, it's more of a trade thing. Like, hey, I'll trade you my molds and I'll sell your stuff over here and you sell my stuff over there. Right. Right. Because because people in the UK are having the same problem. Actually, with privatization of, of postage in the UK, it's even more expensive for them to send stuff around. Mm-hmm. So and it goes back and forth, but uh, ongoing. It's it's heartbreaking, um, but eventually we'll figure it out. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, Conrad also asked, "What's planned for the next Kickstarter?" I would direct you, Conrad, to the start of this podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, next up, Thomas Hoff, whom I have gamed with. Thomas ran. Um, uh, do you know Tim Spakowski? Yeah, I, I got to play a game that Thomas ran at Tim Spakowski's place. It was uh, it was a, a sharp practice game, and it was the assault on Hougamont during oh, the Battle neat. of Waterloo. And very, very lovely game. 28mm figures. He had the farmhouse, the, the compound. Um I think it was a foreground kit, actually. Uh, laser cut uh, wood mm-hmm. building that he painted up. It was just a really fun game. Gorgeous model. And um, he is, Thomas is also the director of the museum at Jefferson Barracks, just outside St. Louis. Ooh. And uh, Thomas simply asks more rabbits. And again, the answer to that is at the beginning of this podcast, Thomas. Thank you for twittering in yeah thomas yep uh, there's a few cool surprise rabbits and some fillers definitely in the killer rabbits too so dog uh, what is it uh coursers right that's that's what they're called the the dogs that hunt rabbits or yeah. hares coursers mm-hmm. yeah yep, yep. um jonathan j reinhardt a uh, friend of the show haven't we've jonathan and i have talked about goading on each other's shows we just haven't been able to sync up uh, Jonathan is, of course, the host of Wargaming Recon, the longest continuously produced Wargaming podcast. Uh, asks, um, what are your plans for your Wooden Wars line moving forward? I think we, I think we addressed that. Um, yeah, the only thing uh, I would add on to that, uh, and, and thanks for the question, Jonathan, is I do not have my 54mm Wars of Imagination figures up on my store yet. So that's uh, okay. that's something that I'm looking forward to actually putting up there. The challenge there, going back to that business thing, is the price point of the cost for like how mm-hmm. much to sell them for. It's kind of because you want by units, and I want people to be able to afford units, but I also need to look at the, the price of the cost for cutting stuff, right? Absolutely. Uh, he also asks, uh, "How cuddly does how cuddly do you think bunnies are, and will you make adorable bunny miniatures?" I think my, my, I think my, is Bugs Bunny adorable? He can be, <laughs> but he's also <laughs> really mischievous, right? You know, uh, right. yeah, he's no, been known to put on a dress and lipstick, but, uh, but he's also the kind of guy that will hand you a piece of dynamite, right? With flowers in it. So, uh, I think my rabbits kind of fall in that kind of Bugs Bunny line. They're definitely, uh, uh, they're adorable. Some of them are really adorable, but, uh, mostly they're just mischievous. Yep. Absolutely. Um, there is, there is a nice line of adorable, cute and fluffy rodents from Bad Squiddo. 
uh, Annie Norman. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got and also uh, from um, oh gosh, um, Tin uh, um, is it Honorable Tin Soldier? Not not Honorable Beloved, Tin Soldier Company. Um, they make beautiful goblins, and they have a bunch of adventuring creatures as well that are gorgeous. I can't think of the name right now. Oh, so bad. They're they're out there. They're yeah. out there though. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. This is this is an interesting one. I think I probably already know the answer to it, but um, legendary noise machine. Uh, I I don't know real name awesome here. Name. Legendary noise machine asks. This is a real flyer, but ever any chance of the Renaissance Skellies in fifteen millimeter? Oof. Uh, only if I can get Mark Copplestone to sculpt them for us. <laughs> he's, there you go. He's the, he's the king of 15s and of 10s. I wish I could yes. get Mark to, to, to sculpt more 10 millimeter stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that stuff is... And I, I've, I have said on multiple occasions that the reason that I'm doing my big... Uh, my big Commands and Colors game in 28 is because of your skeletons. Neat. So if someone were to do them in 15, I'd feel betrayed and I, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Yeah. But, so sorry at legendary. I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon. Although I love yeah. to think that, the, that at legendary machine is your real name and that your mother would like yell it at you at the window. <laughs> at legendary machine washed up. It's time for dinner. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love the idea of doing a mass battle game in 10 or 15 or even six for that matter but man the triumph of death skellies are where it's at for me they'll and, yeah they'll do it for you it, they look so good on mass you and, know and again I, I designed them for rank and file yeah absolutely and I, i'm i'm starting to lay out the units and figure out which castings i want in each unit and i've got plano boxes that i'm just de- depositing the individual units into in in slots let me and, ask you Jay, how are, how are you basing them are you going to do individual base, multi-base? Funny you should ask. Um, I, I talked briefly about this with Henry when I was on his show uh, mm-hmm. last week. And my plan is, um, actually, we've been working, uh, my brother Chris and I are have been working on, well, he's been working on it. I'm just the, <laughs> I, I'm, I I'm the idea, I'm the idea guy. He actually goes in and makes the STLs for our 3D printer. Mm-hmm. And we're in the process of designing individual 20 millimeter square bases that have a three millimeter socket in the bottom for a neodymium magnet. Mm-hmm. Those bases get individually or not. Well, it's a plastic base. Sure. But it's got a half millimeter lip around the perimeter of the base with varying depths of the recess in the top of the base so that when you place the miniature on the base, the feet of the miniature are flush with the top of the base. Uh Uh-huh. And then you go in and you fill that easily with whatever basing medium you want so that the miniature is not standing on on a tiny little hill. Yeah. Wow. So we're in the process of doing that. Those bases pretty in- intense engineering. That'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah, those those bases with the magnets are then going to go on to stands that are made out of uh, steel. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting my 
my unit bases or stands or whatever term you want to use from a guy uh, that runs a company called Shogun Miniatures. And they are beautiful metal bases. The edges are polished. They, you know, they don't have that nasty, sharp metal edge. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they're, as soon as you get them, they're ready to go. Um, oh, that's you know, I'm really going to cool. hit them with a lick of black spray paint or, you know, whatever my, uh, my mat ends up being, that'll be the same color that I'm going to do the, the bases in. The mm-hmm. humans are going to be four to a base. So it's going to be a 20 by 80 millimeter base that they're on or stand that they're on. Mm-hmm. Four stands per unit because it's commands and colors or commands and colors based anyway. Yep. And then the skeletons, because I want the skeletons to seem to outnumber, or they are going to outnumber the humans, they're going to be on 100 by 20 millimeter bases with five figures per base. Nice. Or five so you get that nice standard. density of them. Yeah. Yes. So it's going to be 16 man units for the humans, 20 man units for the skeletons. That sounds awesome. I really look forward to seeing that. So it, it's, it is an ongoing process, and it's... Yeah, it, it it's in the labor of love camp at this point for sure because you know well that's our entire business isn't it that's yeah, what's so cool well, about it so that that's that's where that is um, the full game I think I mentioned to you before the full game I'm use going to use six inch six inch grid mm-hmm. so each unit's gonna you know one unit per square or hex. I'm, I'm going back and forth about whether I want to keep with hexes or if I want to simplify it further with squares mm. and do kind of an yeah. offset grid. Um, but we'll we'll see how that goes. That That's to be determined. But either way, whether it's let, hexes... Let or Chris squ- figure that out. <laughs> well, whether, whether it's squares or hexes, it's going to be six inches. And so I'm looking at... Uh, at least 12 feet, maybe, maybe 13 feet across for the, for the final table. And so like a 13 by five table is what we're going to be be pretty epic playing with. So that's, Mm. that's the plan anyway. I like this plan. So, you know, three to three to four players per side, you know, nice big convention game, some fast play rules. Uh, you know, play to conclusion in about two, two and a half hours. Cast of thousands. So it will be, yeah, It'll be epic. So, long story short, it's it's gonna it's gonna take some work, but um, I'm looking forward to it because it's it's I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. So, well, thanks well, for sharing that, that with me. I look yeah, forward I, to, to seeing your your adventures with that, and keep keep me in the loop because I want to keep brainstorming with you on those ideas as well. Thomas, thanks so much for agreeing to come on the show again. It's been, it's been an absolute delight. I, I really enjoy seeing what you're coming up with. Um, not only professionally, but also what you're doing at home with the fossilings. And it's, it, it just seems like there's, there's a lot of fun and love in your house. And that's great to see. Well, Joe, it's, it, it, Jay, it's a real pleasure to be able to talk with you again, man. I like, I really like hanging out with you, even if it's digitally and just, yeah. you know, like it, it's just really fun to be able to, to share these moments and kind of get these ideas. One of the things from my end and this kind of, it helps kind of stoke the fires is like, I, I don't always get the feedback, right? So mm-hmm. just being able to hear that there's excitement out there about these things and, 
and allowing you know your listeners to have questions was uh that that was a real boost to me so thanks a lot i needed that you're very welcome (laughs) next time you come on um it it is next time you come on it was on the agenda we kind of glossed over it unfortunately is the uh victorian science fiction robots we'll we'll come back to that next time we're we're getting a little late in the evening for me but because uh, i'm gonna have to get my ass out of bed and put some put my sneakers on the road for a little bit in the morning but Good um i do want to talk about that and we'll we'll touch we'll touch base again certainly after the the killer rabbits two who letteth the dogs out um hits mm-hmm. and um, we'll definitely make it a, a, a regular thing that we'll touch base with each other and see how things are going. And I'll be able to hopefully have some progress on, on Toten Taunts, my, that that's the working title for my, uh, for my big game with, uh, the, your skeletons and currently the artisan lines connects. That's, that's mm-hmm. where my guys are from now well i've got some gw figures also I actually got some foundry figures too so minor minor mix as well and and some steel fist <laughs> yeah those steel those are you know steel fist lance connects are gorgeous they're absolutely lovely mm-hmm. um something something i am considering and technically it's they're too early for the period but there's a company called kingmaker that has a line of hussites oh neat and about 50, 75 years too early for the for the Lance Connect period, but they are they are very very cool. You know what, man? So, when when it, when it comes to things like that, I mean, I've got some you know early Foundry Burgundy and stuff like that like it's Hollywood, baby. <laughs> you know, my working <laughs> table is Hollywood. Like, yeah. <laughs> if it looks good on the table, we'll write it into the script because it's Hollywood. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it is a show, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely. So you're the show, you're the director. <laughs> you think there's anything historically accurate about the gladiator movie that just that, that was out, right? You know? <laughs> well, there there were gladiators at one point and <laughs> Exactly. There yeah. was this place called Rome. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But the rest of it was just like, Are you not entertained? Yes, I am entertained. That's what it's about. <laughs> oh, Thomas, thanks so much. Um, I look forward to talking to you again and just touching base periodically from time to time and getting little surprises in my Facebook instant messenger. Hey, take a look at this. You can't tell anybody about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's always fun to share. Right on, man. Well, thanks again. I really enjoyed this. Stay safe. Absolutely. And and thanks all your listeners for, uh, for tuning in. Absolutely. Uh, as, as always, If the war gaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The Veteran Wargamer is copyright J. Arnold 2020. Music courtesy of freemusicarchive.org. It's Hollywood, baby.